you get past the Blue Mountains, you know, like, wow, <laughs> still here. <laughs> but we do love everyone. <laughs> no, I love it. That I'm, what I'm trying to say is that being here on country, I feel really like, yeah, this is awesome. So it's good to experience that with you, even if, you know, we're like complaining about the last season. <laughs> no, no, I'm not. It's no, great. No, no, no. <laughs> I love that. Okay, I just, at least we, we broke the ice and now you can feel free to laugh. Because I was worried about that, that you'd be like, should we laugh or not? So, the deal is it yes. No, not at your coffee. Oh. <laughs> not just laugh. Just laugh. Okay, guys. In the log, you know. Hey, we're building community. Right? Now, Tanya, where, where are you during the week? What yes. does your week look like? Yes, so I live in Annandale in the inner city area. Um, at the moment, I'm writing my PhD, which is this kind of like ruining my intro, but that's all right. Oh, um, I'm no, sorry. <laughs> should I walk away? No. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, and yeah, so I basically we live like in um, a terrace house, and we're in the basement, and our best friends live upstairs. So I am like literally under the bed writing my PhD on a daily basis, which is probably why when I get out, I'm a little bit awkward. So, um, <laughs> so you can forgive me <laughs> for that. But um, yeah, close to the end, um, final edits. Wow. That's what I'm doing, as Could well as other things that I'll explain later. <laughs> Could we encourage Tanya? She's nearly there. She's nearly finished. Her book. <laughs> well, we're really looking forward to it. Tanya and Tim are going to lead us in the sessions uh, this morning and then tomorrow morning. But they're around all weekend for you to chat with. Yes? They'd love to chat with you. Um, they've got a wealth of experience in the kingdom of God. And I, I've only just meeting them with you, and I think they're great. And we think, don't we? We, we think yeah, they're great. Okay. Yeah. Shall we pray? Yes. Right, all right. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. And thank you for Tanya and Tim. And we pray now your blessing to open our hearts and our ears and our eyes to you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, this might be a little unusual for some of you, but every time that I speak now, um, I really just have felt God's asked me to um, honour the local Aboriginal peoples and to do an acknowledgement of country. So I want to acknowledge the Gundagara people on whose land this meeting's held and remember that they fished and hunted and danced and that they still do and that this is a moment for us to remember the elders' past and present and future. Yeah? So... Um, I do that because it's a history of our land. And it's for me a moment to recognise that Creator God um, is, is, you know, so present with us as we are on country. And 
for me, it's a moment of deep recognition and acknowledgement of him. And then also, I like to um, honour the elders because at times, our country has lacked honour in the way that we've talked about and thought about our first peoples. And Romans 13 tells us to give honour where honour is due. And finally, I do that because we're here together on land. And I think that it's significant that our lives have intersected at this point. And I don't yet know what that's about, but I'm here in anticipation because I know that God does. God knows why you were stirred to come and to put in a rego and to come to this camp. God knows why he connected us with Matt and um, why we're here too. And I think um, I love standing in awe and recognition of God. And I know that's why you're here, listening to you worship (laughs) with abandon and um, realising that, you know, there is more. You might feel like you've got to the end of all that you know and that you're, you know, and sometimes this happens, right? You become a big fish in a small pond. (laughs) But there is so much more of God. And so when we stand here and when I stand on land, I stand in awe of God who is so much greater and so much bigger than I could ever imagine. So (laughs) it's really funny, actually. Um, I really struggle to introduce myself and what I do. So I thought I'd try and like explain it to you a little this morning so that you could understand a little bit of the awkwardness of it all. So I am doing my PhD. Um, I am studying at Fuller Theological Seminary in the States. So Tim and I flew over and we lived in LA for two and a half years. Um, And it's been a real privilege to be able to connect with some of the theologians from all around the world who are um, passionate about expressing and finding God in various different local cultures. And then um, we moved back to Australia, and I've been flying in and out from different um, churches with Aboriginal senior pastors. So I've interviewed 88 people who have a senior pastor who is Aboriginal, and I've attended 69 services (laughs) in the last 18 months. So for me, it's been packing my bags and um, flying out on a Thursday, landing in a city and trying to acclimatise myself to the point where I can chat with someone and be entirely present to them and to hearing what their life is like and how God is revealing himself in their world. And so much of what I do is sitting with Aboriginal um, leaders and listening and being willing to calm all of my thoughts and all of my ideas and to put them in a box and to listen and to be present to what they're saying. And then to be able to take what they're saying and to be able to advocate. So um, that's the journey that I'm on with my PhD. And um, I think you'll appreciate this. It's kind of funny to me, but um, it's also a little bit of a journey. But I finished it um, the last time that we met with Soul Survivor. The guys came to, um, the worship team came and um, had pizza at our local pizzeria. (laughs) And I was saying, I'm ready to submit. (laughs) So I pressed the big send button. And... um, And it was so interesting because my committee read it and they're amazing theologians. And they really just like the word decolonize. (laughs) 
So I'm like, it's really funny to me. Like, I feel like I'm between two worlds. So I'm translating everything that we know about Australian realities and what it is to be where we are and who we are and then trying to explain it to American professors. <laughs> and then also meeting with Aboriginal senior pastors and going, they didn't like the word decolonize and um, I was trying to find out some more language to put around this. So I literally feel like it's a translation exercise. <laughs> and they, um, everybody along this path I adore. <laughs> and, but I feel like sometimes I don't really know who I am or where I am. <laughs> And so in amongst all of that, um, last semester I had some really great projects on the board, but none of them came to fruition. So that I spent a lot of time writing and I was really honoured to do that. And then this semester, every contract has come through. <laughs> so at the moment I'm teaching at Excelsior College, doing ethnomusicology. I'm teaching at Hillsong College, doing mission and culture. Um, I'm working at University of Sydney with people who have a disability um, and looking at inclusive research and getting people with disabilities' voices into the literature. Um, and then I do stuff like this. <laughs> and so I feel like I wear many, many, many hats. But um, in it all, you know, I, I think one of the ways that all of this occurred was that um, really... I found myself as a teenager just really being very conscious of God and being conscious of um, just, I guess, the, the need for me as a person to be connected to the creator God and to feel like there were, that I was walking in his path. There's a sense of like we all know that we have, we're created and that kind of implies that there's a purpose. There's something that you know, it's not just about being, it's about, you know, actually participating and contributing and bringing all that you are and being a part of something. And so for me, um, when I was 16, I wrote a song, which was called Jesus, What a Beautiful Name. And strangely enough, um, my church at the time, which is Hillsong, um, they heard it and it got put on one of their albums. And so I kind of landed into this world where um, I became a Christian like music celebrity at the age of 16 by accident. <laughs> and, um, and I was doing my HSC and um, my dad unplugged the phone because so many people were ringing to get the chord chart. And, um, <laughs> and, he, and my parents are from the North Shore and they're really education-minded. And they were just like, where did you come from? Like, really, you must have been switched at birth. This is not our child. They're not musical at all. <laughs> they would just be like, what are you doing in our family? <laughs> what shall we do with you? <laughs> So I guess in that sense, um, growing up, I've had some really interesting windows and insights into different areas of the church, um, different places in the world. Um, and so I hope that I can bring some of that to you and inspire you. I think, you know, it's, I love like um, our relaxed Aussie lifestyle. I really love it, right? But there's this tendency to kind of sit back and like be like, okay, well, you know, living for the weekend, you know. Um, there's something more, and I just feel to say that to you, you know. I don't know exactly um, what of what we do this morning, you know, God will ignite in you. But I'm really praying that that fire does, that it starts to, you know, it was really difficult to light the bonfire last night because it was wet. And I think there's something in that metaphor. Like, it's really hard, but you keep going, and eventually there's a blaze, and I think, um, you know, this morning is a part of that. 
I realised though that because my world is like fast and furious, for you it might feel like you've just been like thrown a bucket of cold water at you. <laughs> so Matt's really good at like the basic, like you know, um, and if everything kind of goes past, that's all right. You're not here to listen to me. You're here to listen to the Spirit and to connect with God. So I want to tell you about a story that's really been um, challenging me. And it's um, a passage that in the scripture that has really just been one of those ones that I keep coming back to and I can't move from. It's like, you know, I know that I haven't got it yet. (laughs) I don't know if you get that. Last night Matt um, talked about God's word is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. And I think that this is one of those passages for me that's like a light's been switched on. And it's kind of, um, as a worship leader, you know, it kind of speaks to me because it's about a worship leader who is really, really busy. Um, it's, I mean, that's kind of a joke. There's no real worship leaders in the Bible in the sense of, like, you know, skinny jean wearing guitar playing, like, latte holding, like, stereotypical worship leaders, you know. It's not like, you know, there's someone who's, like, you know, got a long black coat and leading out like Mariah Carey, but um, it's, a, it's about... Um, you know, if, if there's a, a section where a worship leader is woven into it and there are these roles that I sometimes play and um, yet it's not very, um, it's not a real compliment, um, this passage. And, and maybe that's why I keep getting drawn back to it because sometimes the Bible creates a mirror and you get to look at yourself really and you get to see what you're really like. But in that there's freedom because you get the potential to change. And that opportunity and that possibility to change is something that the Word offers us. You know, um, the, I, I was thinking, and as I was like looking through this, um, just background to it, and I know it's a long preamble, but I think it'll make sense. Um, the Levites were chosen to lead worship in, in the Bible, you know. And it said that they didn't have any land because the Lord God was their inheritance. I kind of love that from a generation of people that live in Sydney who are like, you know, looking at these monolithic property prices that could dominate our entire lives. And I kind of just went, wow, like, they didn't have property because the Lord was their inheritance. Something really beautiful and freeing about that. And they, um, they received the tithe from the people so that they could carry out the work of the Lord and fulfill the priestly duties and the, um, the political duties at the time, which I think is a really beautiful image as well. So I guess in that sense, maybe I'm connected to this story in multiple ways, but it's from Luke 10. And it, the story opens with a religious scholar, a theologian, I guess, we could put it into our language. And um, he's a competent figure Competent in debating in the synagogue. This kind of dialogue was really normal for him, but he brings a personal question to Jesus. And I wonder if you have personal questions for Jesus that you've come with to this weekend. For him, it was one that, you know, was interesting. He said, he's one moment with Jesus, you know? He gets to ask the big question, and he says... Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And I think it's a very human question, actually. 
It's the question that Nicodemus asks. He's from the Jewish council and he comes to Jesus late at night and he asks, what must a man do to be born again? And then it's also the reassurance that the criminal needed when hanging next to Jesus. Remember me when you come into paradise. And it's also a question that the jailer asks of Paul, what must I do to be saved? I think there's this question that's at the heart of our human existence and we all ask it in different ways, but we are asking for that question to be answered by God. And the way he frames it here is really interesting because he says, what must I do to inherit? You know, Jewish inheritance was a really important part of the Torah. (coughs) And the book of Daniel particularly separates out the just who will rise to eternal life and those who are not, who will die in contempt and shame. And really this lawyer is asking, how do I gain this eternal life? How do I get this inheritance, this Jew? And Jesus asks this, what is written in the law? How do you read it? This is verse 26, so you can read along, 27. He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbour as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. At that point, I'd be pretty excited. <laughs> like Jesus asked, summarise the scripture <laughs> and I could put it into a thesis statement that Jesus says yes. Like, I think I'd go, peace out. <laughs> like, that's the pinnacle, is it not? Amazing. But he wanted to justify himself. And so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbour? You know, I think that this is the other question that resounds throughout history. Who is my neighbour? When this rabbi, this teacher, he summarises it into love your neighbour as yourself. It's a really strong statement. He said it, and Jesus says, yes, that's what the Bible is all about. Love your neighbour as yourself. But the scholar wants to qualify it. To whom must I extend myself? And from whom can I withhold myself? Where's the limit? Where's the limit of this love? If the Bible really says, love your neighbour as yourself, where is the point at which I can draw a little circle and tick and walk away and fulfil the law? And Jesus introduces us to some characters in this parable that he tells us a story in response. You know, it's a, it's a story that has been painted by Rembrandt. It's been put into poetry by Henry Lawson. And I, I think it has something so profound for us, if you're willing to let it be a mirror. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by thieves. They stripped him of his clothes beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. Verse 31, a priest happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man, he passed by the other side. So too a Levite. When he came to the place and saw him, he passed by the other side. You know, the scholar knew that if a priest or a Levite was to touch a dead body, that they would become ritually unclean and that 
they couldn't go into the temple of the Lord having touched a dead body. But the interesting thing is that Jesus has written this story in the reverse. So they couldn't go into the temple after touching a dead body, but they were leaving the temple. This was the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. They were already authorised. If that makes sense. So these are some of the most powerful figures that could possibly be used in this story. And I don't know, maybe you can draw some correlations, but the people that these people admired the most, the people that they looked up to, the ones that had all of the goods <laughs> in that sense, and who were completely authorised, completely holy within the Jewish system, and were able to give of that holiness, crossed over the other side of the road. Jesus contrasts this with the next character that walks along this road. A Samaritan was, and this is in the commentaries, a half-Jew, which means that they had Jewish, some Jewish ancestors and some pagan ancestors. And we know throughout the Bible that God wanted Israel to be, to be its own people, that there were laws around who you could marry and who you couldn't, and so this meant that they had failed to fulfill these laws. The Samaritans lived in the northern kingdom and they followed only the first five books of the Torah. And they spoke the unspeakable name of Yahweh. They refused to follow the cultural norms around when and where God's name could be spoken. They refused to assimilate. And because of that, and they worshipped on Mount Gerizim, not Jerusalem, they were the opposing religious system. And the Jews knew that this was not what God had written in the Torah. <coughs> that they were adopting some of, some of the ways, but not all of them. And for this reason, the Jews hated them, and the Samaritans hated the Jews. And Jesus says in verse 33, the Samaritan came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you have. The road from Jerusalem to Jericho was actually notorious. And Martin Luther King spoke of this parable the night before he was killed. He knew that he would be ambushed in a matter of days. But he said this, I am going to tell you what my imagination tells me. It's possible that these men were afraid. I remember when Mrs. King and I rented a car and we drove from Jerusalem to Jericho. And as soon as we got to the road, I said to my wife, I can see how Jesus used this setting for this parable. It's a winding, meandering road. It's conducive to ambushing. It's possible that the priest and the Levite looked over that man on the ground and wondered if the robbers were still around. Or it's possible that they felt the man on the ground was merely faking it and he was acting like he'd been robbed and hurt in order to seize them over there, lure them for a quick and easy getaway. And so the first question that the priest asked, the first question that the Levite asked is, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But then the Good Samaritan came by and he reversed the question. 
If I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? You know, MLK's um, words on the night of his death are really poignant. They show us that God is asking a deep empathy of us. That he, an empathy that changes the way we live, changes our actions. We need to be interruptible. We have ideas of what we're going to do with our lives. We write them, I don't know whether this is you, but we write them in little journals. Maybe we don't. Maybe we're too scared to write them down. But we have hopes and dreams and expectations. And I'm here to tell you God will interrupt those dreams. <laughs> he will interrupt them. And there are moments where you're faced with a possible dangerous situation where God will ask you to be interrupted. You know, God is asking us for, to reorientate ourselves. So much of our lives is around us. But the Bible offers us an opportunity to be reorientated to others. Love is a verb. It looks like Jesus hanging on the cross, demonstrating love. It's not just a Facebook status. It's not just, you know, clicktivism. Jesus asked the scholar, which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? You know, this scholar, he couldn't even say the word Samaritan. <coughs> the commentaries say that he merely uttered the, word, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. I don't know if you've played the game, who am I in this Bible story? <laughs> it's easy to, um, you know, play the, play the game of Christianity. But I think God wants more of us. Jesus stands before us and asks more of us. Are you maybe the theologian who's become aware that he has a deep hatred in his heart? Do you have a theoretical understanding of the law of love? Are you the priest who's walking down the road so busy, potentially, that he isn't aware that he walked past a brother in need, but thinks this is a dangerous situation? Are you the Levite who's unable to see the image of God in a broken body lying on the road? Are you the innkeeper who accepts money for something that you really should do regardless? You know, um, last year I was really privileged to attend this conference. Um, and I heard, um, it was with the Larch community, I don't know if you know about them, but it's a group of people that are committed to living in um, Christian communities. So many of the people have um, a disability and many of them don't. And so they live um, in houses that participate in life together. And one of the women who lives in a Larch house came and shared. And she lives with a woman um, called Catherine and Catherine has a disability. Catherine's non-verbal, but she can paint. And so they did this devotional and they, um, of the Good Samaritan. And Catherine painted an image. And in it, this woman said she had portrayed herself as the donkey. And she didn't have words, <laughs> but she could offer her back to carry the broken body to the inn. 
You know, there are, there are all these characters, but the reality is, is that we have all at times been the broken traveller on the road. At times, we've been ignored by religious leaders. That's how it works, right? Maybe it wasn't intentional, but maybe there was one day when you really needed the pastor, and they weren't there. When you really wanted to have a chat with someone, and it wasn't available to you. But we have all been cared for. And this, I think, is why I keep coming back to this passage, is that I have been given more oil and wine than I deserve. I have been carried on the back of a donkey, accepted at an inn, healed, and allowed to go on my way again. And this is because of Jesus. It's access into that healing. He has rescued us. I don't know if you really get that yet, this weekend, that Jesus has actually paid the price that you may feel broken and on the road, but God has already painted out the way for you to be whole and healed again. You know, at the moment, our world is groaning. And because of that, sometimes I think, you know, there's um, a need for our generation to recognise it, not to ignore it. The truth is, there are people who have lost their lives all over our globe. This month, when I think of Iraq, I think of the families that have lost children. And when you read some of the story, it is hard not to weep. It is hard not to weep when you see images of little boys who've been in a boat who didn't make it across the sea. It's hard not to weep. It's hard not to feel the gravity of that. <coughs> you know, the way that Jesus rescues us is so beautiful. And in a, a way, you know, so much of that, that rescue comes in this reorientation that transition from life no longer being about you or about yourself, but about being reorientated, following in the footsteps of Jesus, following Paul, following in the tradition, this amazing way that we get to walk in, being reorientated to others. In Colossians 1, it says this, God rescued us from dead-end alleys and dark dungeons. He set us up in the kingdom of the son he loves so much. The son who got us out of the pit we're in, got rid of the sins we were doomed to keep repeating. I don't know if you feel that way, that you come back to this place and again and again and again. If you were to truly look at yourself and to examine it, that you look and go, I keep coming back to the sin that I knew. Jesus offers you something else today. If you're willing to go there, he offers you a chance to start to look at the world and to be able to see how God is thinking about our world. I look at you guys and I know you are the leaders of our church in Australia. 
you are. For us to lean into that and to live it is so important. It's so important for us to realise that we must do it from gratitude and that we must become aware of others, not just ourselves. I asked Tim to come and... Um, we, there's a song that we... Do we have time? Is that all right now? Oh, we've got plenty. <laughs> Organisation. Oh, we... There's no other mic. That's weird. All right. Well, maybe Tim can see it. No, we'll share it. Oh, yeah. Is that all right? Thank you. Wow. Everyone here is so talented. Like, they all... <laughs> lovely. Um, so when we were in LA, um, we weren't really, I mean, I, we knew that God had called us there, we weren't really sure why, and it was this commission that we felt to go over into um, crazy adventure, <laughs> following Jesus, and um, Tim got asked to be a part um, of, to be a youth pastor in, L, in the OC. I don't know if you've watched the, like, show The OC. Like, this is, like, the weirdest thing. Like, so I'm current, like, you know, I'm going, okay, I'm ready for, like, you know, to engage Aboriginal communities, and then Tim gets an appointment to The OC. And um, we, <laughs> we walk in, and, like, they are so funny. On the first night, we sang a delirious song, and they had a choreographed routine that they all knew, and Tim and I are going, woo! Awesome! <laughs> we obviously didn't know the dance steps. Like, everybody in there was doing it. was like an episode of Glee. And I was just like, wow! <laughs> yeah, this is really not my thing. I don't do choreographed dance, but uh, I, I'm prepared to clap you. <laughs> Afterwards, I don't know. Um, all to Jesus. Like, you know, they were glorifying God with their choreographed dance routine. But for me, it was a really weird, like, whoa, shift. And um, for us, we, I really felt like a fish out of water for a long time. And um, we really had to work out, okay, so God, we know that you're present in all cultures and that you're all over the world and you're revealing yourself, but I don't know how to access you here. And there would be, you know, these moments where, like, the kids would come in and they'd be like, I got a car for, like, the 16th. And they'd be like... No, no that's underestimating it. This girl got a... She's 16 and she's got a T-Bird <laughs> but she's like, it's silver, and I really wanted mint. <laughs> and I'm going, holy moly! <laughs> like, I'm dealing with fetal alcohol syndrome kids in, like, you know, Mount Druitt. <laughs> and then suddenly, like, having to stand there and, you know, engage this kid and being like, you know, okay. And we, we ended up, you know, having to grab them and go, you have been given much for a reason. <laughs> much is required of you. <laughs> And, um, you know, it was the weirdest thing, but there was this one song that we found, and it's kind of a homing device for me. And um, really, it's about that. It's, you know, I don't know what your world looks like. I hope we get to chat over lunch or whatever and get to hear the stories and the people that God's put you with. But your traveller on the road is not going to be my traveller on the road. We all have that road. And it's different. And, um, you know, learning how to sing in every season and in every place, even when you feel alone, and to announce God's reign in that moment is really, I, what this is really the journey that I'm going on and that God is teaching me.
wonder whether you would let God take you beyond the comfortable today. Maybe it's just stuff that you've been holding the door against. And allow him to show you that he is God. He is God. Our world so desperately needs us to understand that and to be willing. If that's you and you're kind of really going, God, I know that there's more, but I don't know how to get there. I'd love you to come forward for some prayer. You're not doing it alone. And in hearing God's voice, so much of it is in being willing to be in the people of God, in community, and to test it. Maybe this is what God's saying to me. They're frightened about it. 